Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker and that cool motorcycle riding boy at school. And I'm Caroline Sita, and I'm the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> nice. The way this podcast works is that Caroline and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. Uh, we have done three so far with the eminent Jamie Lee Curtis. We have done Halloween, A Fish Called Wanda, and True Lies. And this week, we are finally cracking open kind of... I'd say the one that had the most sort of expectant energy around it, the one that everyone is sort of saying, everyone at least of our generation is saying, so when are you going to cover <laughs> Freaky Friday? The people have been demanding it. Yes, the people have clamored for Freaky Friday. And my friends, I am happy to say that day is today. Today is the Freaky Friday. Yes, and the podcast drops on a Friday. So if you're listening to this as it downloads, I sure hope you've switched bodies with someone because that's the way to celebrate. A happy Freaky Friday to one and all. <laughs> to all who celebrate. And today, we're very excited because we're going to be joined by our very good friend, director, actor, and general Twitter tastemaker, Pernell Van Dyke Myers. Welcome, Pernell, to Roll Call. Hey. Hello, hello, guys. Thank you for having me. Hello. Pernell, we're so excited to have you on the show. Truly. Thank you for that lovely little intro, um, which is... You know, definitely just a way of saying that I spend way too much time on Twitter. A very nice way of saying it. But it is also 100% a fact. Uh, so I will accept it. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you're, you are very online. You've got lots of good, lots of good takes. Lots of, uh, lots of good. And uh, I mean, I, can, I don't know if I can describe your Twitter personality better than you did in your bio, where you describe yourself as hornery. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that's a that's a new one yeah um uh definitely imp- impacted by the pandemic um i i think i like try in general to you know not be too negative uh and like too critical um on twitter like for me it's generally like a very fun place mm-hmm. um i try not to post too much like oh uh you know this group is doing too much of that or like y'all are you know doing this when you should be doing this but like, you know, sometimes you can't really avoid it. <laughs> and so I'm, a, you know, I'm a little ornery sometimes, um, but also always a little horny as well. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> we've landed at hornery. You know, uh, why fight the feeling? Either feeling or the bl- or the blended feeling. Exactly. Yeah. So we're super delighted to have you on. We, again, as a sort of a sort of a trend, we've had on a couple guests who we know from college. I mean, college, Northwestern Theater is how Caroline and I know each other. It's how mm-hmm. three of us know each other, unless mm-hmm. I'm mistaken and y'all knew each other have before. Have a secret which friendship. Would me. Wouldn't that be magical? Yeah, I wish. Purnell was also a former member of my History Boys cast. This is my slow move to try to bring reunite you all back slowly on the podcast, to reunite yes. the whole team one by That's one. That's right. That's yes. right. Uh, for those of you following, the first in the History Boys cycle is our Lion episode mm-hmm. with Adar Shah. The second in our History Boys cycle will be today's Freaky Friday episode. Stay tuned because it's a large cast, so it will take <laughs> us a while. Yeah, I was going to say, this is quite the cycle. Yeah. So before we jump into, before we get freaky about it, can I ask Pranel, do, do you have any feelings about Jamie Lee Curtis in general? Like, is she someone that you have a specific relation to? I wouldn't say that I have a specific relationship uh, to her. Um, I'm not sh- I'm not sure if my yeah relationship is, like, much different than general audiences. Um, yeah. 
Freaky Friday was definitely my intro to her for sure. And then there were the Activia commercials um, (laughs) because, you know, certainly of of that age. Yep. And since Freaky Friday, uh, I've definitely been a fan. I was like, uh, you know, she's very funny, obviously. And then more recently, as I've been like watching uh, some of her older stuff, I was like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis has also always been incredibly hot forever. Mm Um, and obviously the similar... rest of the world knew that, but I didn't know that until recently. And uh-huh. so that has been my journey, uh, with, with Jamie Lee recently is like learning that part. Um, I watched a fish called Wanda yesterday and yeah, uh, you guys mentioned this in the podcast episode of Walls, um, but yeah, her and Kevin Klein together. Yeah. Just <laughs> the chemistry. <laughs> explosive it was wonderful explosive is right yeah it is interesting that there's this whole generation of us that really went on the journey that you're describing which is knowing jamie lee curtis in this freaky friday mom mode and then only in retrospect going back and discovering her young hot days which obviously mm-hmm. is so different than i think the generation that would have come of age with her and you know been been her age in her young hot days and then seen her morph morph into mom mode i would say arguably sooner than she should have but made that journey for a good chunk of her career great argument i agree with you yeah and i did you know i did see um i'd almost forgotten until recently but i had seen several of the halloween movies when i was younger as well um but they were the ones like halloween h2o and halloween resurrection i think which both Mm -hmm. had ll cool j and buster rhymes in them um and they were the sort of feature of the films for Mm -hmm. me at that time so they were what i remembered the most and i was not um actually i'm not sure that jamie lee was in both of those i think just one Mm -hmm. Uh, i think actually she was in both because i've I've just been reading i haven't seen them but i think she features in h2o and then makes an early exit from halloween resurrection if i'm not Ah, mistaken okay so it might it might make some sense that i you know didn't have a particularly strong memory from either of those. Um, yeah. But I definitely remembered both Buster Rhymes and LL Cool J in mm-hmm. those movies. Yeah. LL Cool J had a... I, did, I haven't seen either of those. I have seen LL Cool J in... Deep Blue What C. was it called? With the sharks? Yeah. Deep yes. Blue Can I say... Smart Sharks the movie. I yeah. still cook my scrambled eggs based on the recipe that LL Cool J gives in the movie Deep Blue Sea when he thinks wow. he's about to die and he records his like secret recipe for cooking scrambled eggs, which is to use water instead of milk. I that's I truly started doing huh. that because of that movie, which is probably not a good thing to make because he's not a real chef. He was an actor reading lines in a script. <laughs> but does it work? Yeah. I mean, have I noticed a real difference between how I used to do it? No. Do I think of LL Cool J every time I have scrambled eggs? Yes. That's good enough. LL Cool J style. Deep blue sea style scrambled <laughs> eggs. Man, uh, maybe I need to give that one a rewatch. Samuel L. Jackson series, maybe? Yeah, but how would that wouldn't make it in for Samuel no. Jackson? His his filmography is un- unthinkably crowded. Okay, so to bring it back, <laughs> right? We we had Freaky Friday, which I think a lot of us feel, as you did, Pernell, that that was kind of like the introduction to a lot of people of our sort of general age group to Freaky Friday. You saw it as a young person, Pernell. How when did we all? How how do, how? What is everyone's history with Freaky Friday here? Yeah, um, I definitely saw it when it first came out i don't think i saw it in theaters um i think it might have been a wait for dvd situation um mm-hmm. but that was 2003 so i was like 11 12 ish yeah 
So I revealed this towards the tail end of our True Lies episode, but even though I initially listed Freaky Friday as my dominant image of who Jamie Lee Curtis is, I had never actually seen this movie until yesterday. I had just seen the ads for it. These to run nonstop on the Disney Channel, which I watched yes. so much growing up. After years of wow. not having the Disney Channel, when we finally got it, I went really hardcore into <laughs> that channel. And so, yeah, it was wild to me how much this this trailer for this movie had imprinted on me mm-hmm. and defined my image of Jamie Lee Curtis. And yet it was not until last night that I finally experienced the magic of Freaky Friday. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I had a, a sort of, I mean, not not a similar experience, but you're right in that they uh, Disney Channel played that trailer so much that it would be like imprinted on you. It was they they sort of burned it into the ground yeah. a little bit. No, like the, watching totally. the movie, I could remember whenever I, a scene would come up and I was like, oh, this was in the trailer. Like the scene where she mm-hmm. wakes up and she's like, this is new. This is new. And she grabs her butt and she's like, this is definitely new. Like that was definitely mm-hmm. part of the trailer. Yeah, I I did see it probably even in theaters at the time. Um, and I did I did like it back then, but I didn't see it for many years. But I agree that there were parts of the movie that I was like, oh man, I completely forgot about I totally forgot about a you know this uh, vindictive teacher plot. I forgot about this thing, but like oh, I'm like the crypt keeper. Like that's so indelibly seared in my in my memory. Everything mm-hmm. from the trailer. So we all clearly have a relationship with that trailer. And it sounds like Caroline, you had never seen it before. Pernell, like you and I, probably have gone at least a decade since seeing it last. At least. Yeah, I guess I, I say at least a decade now. My brain is just processing that 2003 was 18 years ago, <laughs> which is really weird to think. But how is everyone's watch slash rewatch? You guys, this movie is so good. <laughs> I yeah? loved this movie. I thought it was phenomenal. I laughed. I cried. I really was it, it so exceeded my expectations for what it was going to be. It was such a joy to watch this and then rewatch parts of it this morning. Like I am so hyped for this conversation <laughs> oh my god that's so good yeah so to me fantastic movie what about you pernell uh i loved uh going back to it from all of those moments like in the trailers that were so recognizable that you know they're still quotable more than 10 years later to like actually um like watching jamie lee curtis like perform in it and being like oh okay no i see you were you were really working in this in this movie which is also like yeah really well written and like very funny um you know you know it's got some it's got its issues like every other film ever made um but Certainly. Uh, yeah i loved it i Uh-oh. think it definitely has some issues <laughs> Ned, is this what we will finally disagree on <laughs> i don't know it's well you know Friday? We had some – so uh, as we're recording this, we actually have not dropped our True Eyes episode yet. So I'll just catch you up, Pernell, that in mm. our last episode, I found myself, at least from the start, slightly defending some aspects of True Eyes, whereas Caroline was pretty roundly negative on it. Mm. And if I'm going to go and criticize this, the fact that I'm like – by being on one side of a debate, I sort of put myself in this pro-True Eyes, anti-Freaky Friday camp. And that's mm. that, that feels like I'm really showing my ass in a way that I didn't – intend to i think if i were to sum it up i think that the performances from our two leads are at a much higher level than maybe what the script is giving them i think the script is a little thin in terms of some of the dialogue and i felt 
particularly that I thought that the first 25 minutes of this movie before they switch, I was like, this is rough compared to, Mm. I think, you know, maybe it's all a question of expectation. Definitely my pleasant surprise at actually laughing at things in true lies was a, a question of expectation. Perhaps all movie going experiences are, but I think I had kind of put this on a pedestal and I'd like to discuss later on, like kind of how it fits into this whole pantheon of this era of movies, this sort of particular crop of teen movies. I think I had been remembering it as uh, maybe having a stronger script than it did. Like, so hmm. I'm sort of now opening up the, the like the Lindsay Lohan pop era. So the timeline for her, she goes 1998 Parent Trap. A classic. 2000 Life Size. Another classic. Yes. 2003 Freaky Friday. Great. And 2004 Mean Girls. Weirdly not one of my favorites. Well, see, I think Mean Girls is one that when I first saw it, maybe just because I was like a a little 14-year-old shithead, uh, I was kind of cool on it. But later on, I've been like, no, I think Mean Girls is really clever. And I found the script of this, maybe it's just less snarky, but mm-hmm. I found some parts of this where I was like, I was really rolling my eyes at some of the some of the dialogue and characterization. But but I, see I think I think it kind of undeniably like it really turns on once they switch mm-hmm. because arguably like the project that they wanted to both sign on and do was Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to play a 15-year-old girl trapped in an adult's body. Lindsay Lohan wanted to play an adult woman trapped in her kid's body. When they're just playing, like, quote-unquote, themselves, mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit more... Archetypal. Kind of archetypal, a little bit hacky, and, and just less, like, alive. Like, they're not, there's not as much for them to sort of, like, dig into... But I will say, like... It's definitely, like, I a think, little bit inconsistent in their characterizations as yeah. well, a, early A on. little bit. A little bit. And there was a there was a quote from Jamie Lee Curtis. We watched this... There's this Vanity Fair video where she breaks down all her, like, movies. There are a lot of significant movies for herself, which I've referenced on probably every episode of this. And she's got all these little tidbits. And one of them on this was... It was her idea. She asked one of the grips working on the movie to, like, put baby powder on her shoes when she's on the set of the talk show mm-hmm. so that she could, like, do that thing where a, a PA is, like, pushing her across the floor and she's sliding. And then the director was like, hey, the editor asked me if I, like, want to pull you back because, like, you're going a little big. She's like, dude, I'm just – this is what you get with me. I'm going big. <laughs> and I do think Imagine. that – Imagine. How dare you? I, I mean, that's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing to say. I'm like, man, what kind of movie do you think you're making? Like, what? Yeah. But, but I think that the the bigness in the in the early stuff is a little bit less dynamic. I also will say the plot gets more fun for me as it goes along. Mm-hmm. I do think the difference between this and Mean Girls is Mean Girls is very much a teen movie. I think this is a family movie first and foremost. Yes. Like, even though it has yeah. teenage characters, I think this is pitched at a much younger audience. So to me, mm-hmm. I could very much enjoy it on that wavelength of like this is the ideal movie to watch when you're like eight or nine years old Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and so i think it's just a different set of expectations it's going to be broader and less snarky than mean girls which is also directed by the same guy actually Um, really mm -hmm. yeah mark no idea walters waters 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 just directed the 
He's All That, She's All That remake. Which my friends, when did this episode come out? When did, when uh, did that happen? I think it's coming out after my review is dropping. Not a good movie. <laughs> Would not recommend He's All That. Oh, okay. Oh, oh so this just happened. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, wait, one other thing, maybe to ground this conversation. So part of the reason that they were maybe trying to figure out what tone to strike with Jamie's performance is that this was originally supposed to be Annette Benning playing the mom. And about yeah, four days before they're, they're set to start shooting, Annette has to drop out and they basically just bring Jamie in at the last minute. And so she just kind of throws herself into this with, I mean, I don't know how much actorly preparation one would do for Freaky Friday, <laughs> you know, with extended amount of time, but she is certainly thrown into this in a very last minute situation which is then funny that it goes on to become such a defining role for her like very well reviewed um a well-reviewed movie and her performance is super well reviewed i think she gets a golden globe nomination and then obviously as we keep talking about this is the defining film for her for so many people that are our age true and i think deservedly in terms of her performance and honestly Lindsay lohan's performance is better than i remembered i think i probably i think i had this impression that like Jamie Lee Curtis's stuff is really fun and Lindsay Lohan's stuff is all right. But honestly, I think she's doing really good work as well in mm. some of her in some of her bits. Purnell, what are your yeah. Lindsay Lohan thoughts in general and then specifically within this movie? Are you a Lilo? Is that what they people called her? Mm. Yeah. A Lilo I, uh, Stan. That's a new that's a new one for me. Um I cannot say that I uh, am one of those. Um no shade, but uh I'm definitely I'm definitely a big fan of like all of uh like all of her like most iconic um mm-hmm. movies. Um I mean I'm just like, you know, in that in that age range. She, like she was just really popping for those like early 2000s like late mm-hmm. 90s times, you know. Um like par- yeah, well, we just mentioned them like Parent Trap and Life Size, iconic, undeniable. I don't have any like I don't have any negative feelings about her as a person. Um, I think just like other than those most iconic movies, not really a person, not really someone that I paid much attention to. Fair enough. I think in this movie, like I definitely, my memory was that like she was the funniest part of the movie. Um, And so it was in in going back and watching it again, I was like, oh no, Jamie Lee Curtis is definitely the funniest (laughs) part of this movie. She is killing it all the time um there yeah there there are so many like and 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 like i had been learning just like how much of a uh comedic and extremely physical actor uh she is and you can just like you can see that like they didn't give her all of that like physical material in freaky friday as they could have Mm -hmm. um but like i feel like I felt like the stuff that was in there was like really coming from her. It's like a, it's got a lot of, the movie's got a lot of physical gags in general. Um, most of whom I, I probably go to Lindsay Lohan or like the other minor characters and stuff. But just Jamie Lee Curtis's physicality, like throughout the whole thing, um, like specifically the way she sits in chairs, mm-hmm. obviously. Oh um, yeah, completely. <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, I, I, I see what I see what you're doing, and I am having a lot of fun watching it yeah um yeah, oh but the question she... was how Lindsay lohan was in this <laughs> it's okay <laughs> listen we're a jamie podcast so you were doing a better job keeping us on track than than ned and i were yeah guys you're welcome <laughs> yeah the way like her like constant sort of slouchiness yeah and i will say the thing about that that first 25 minutes that i was sort of dumping on the thing about it is like is it, you it totally be 25 need minutes that. 
Oh yeah, twenty five I mean, minutes it's, it's, before in they this hour bodies. and a half movie. You're telling me that it takes them twenty five minutes to swap bodies. They have a normal day at high school. They go out to. They have like the conversation about the door, oh, sitting at yeah, the table. Right. They go out mm-hmm. to dinner. And then dinner. the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, I guess there is a lot. And, and it, you felt know, like, it felt like two days. The whole like going to detention twice thing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and like all of the stuff that right. happens Meeting Chad Michael to- Murray. Yeah, and all of the stuff that happens to the mom um, as well. I was like, oh, we're seeing like a couple of days of their lives um, at the beginning. And then, and then of course, the, 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 the switch happens and they mention or – Right around the time the switch happens, they mentioned that the wedding is the next day or the day after. Um, and I had a true moment of being like, oh, my God, all of the action of this movie happens in one day. Yeah. And I had to pause and say to myself, "That's it's in the name, Cornell. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's right there. Okay, it's no, not you're freaky right about that. Friday through Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the freaky weekend. Yeah. Freaky weekend. That's all right, Ned, I apologize entirely. for questioning your... Um, timing of this movie. You're right. Way more happens no, before they switch than I'd remember. It's fine. But I, I, well, first off, I will just say I, I often, there are a lot of movies where the whole action like takes place or most of it, you know, they'll give you a few days. Like Scream is a movie where by a third of the way through, you're just on the last day and you're like, oh shit, wait, this is all happening. You know, a lot of MCU movies will do that, but it's hard to keep track of because they don't really feel grounded in like a time. But, um, <laughs> But uh, but I digress. But what I was going to say is um, those 25 minutes actually are so key. You know, you can't take those out and have an equally effective movie. You need mm-hmm. to both lay in place the, the things that the other actors are going to imitate. Obviously, like for story reasons, you need to establish the status quo. But it also you get these contrasts where Jamie Lee Curtis as Tess. Tess, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis as Tess, like her posture sitting at that dining table all like rigid and imperious. Mm -hmm. That sets up this contrast so that when she's so slouchy later on and like sticking her feet up on the on the dashboard of the car, like it just makes all those things hit a lot. It does. And I feel like, yeah, and it it's like it sets up the um the like anticipation of the the switch as well, because um, like going into the movie, we all know that they are going to switch, um, and so like yeah. seeing Jamie Lee Curtis being, uh, you know, as like stiff as she is, like in in those early moments, I'm like, oh man, when they switch, it, like when I <laughs> when they do switch, it's gonna be, it's gonna be that much more exciting, yeah, yeah, and you're so right that she has so many great like. I mean, she has little like, spectacular, like, I mean, we already talked about the part where she is being pushed like a Looney Tune across the floor and slipping. <laughs> she has that incredible, like, tiny stunt where Mark Harmon goes to is kiss her. And yes. yeah, exactly. Yes. She does this, like, casual backflip over the couch that, like, she bounces right back up. I rewound it, like, doing... three times. It's very <laughs> <Yes>. impressive. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to. It's incredible to look at it. I yeah, it's it's like major hats off to her for pulling off that stunt. It is like so entertaining to watch. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other the the biggest one I can like or like the main physical gag that comes to mind in the movie, um, which is it's it's not a Jamie Lee Curtis moment, but it does it is like probably my favorite single moment. Um, mm-hmm. is that like split second of Lindsay Lohan like fucking sprinting at chad michael murray about to tackle the <laughs> shit out of him yeah. uh yes. like in front of the in front of the house and i'm like oh girl you 
<laughs> like she was serious. She was booking it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a, an excellent moment. Yeah. And he says, this, what does he say? Hit me baby one more time. And then she tackles him. It's yes. great. <laughs> yeah, so it's good. great. Okay. Great can stuff. I just say like I, Chad Michael Murray in this movie is so good. My letterboxed review for this movie was that I think, I genuinely think both Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan should have been nominated for Oscars for this. And I also sort of think that Chad Michael Murray should have too. I think he's so funny. And every time he shows up in something, I think I always underestimate like how good he is because every time I've ever seen Chad Michael Murray in something, I come away being like, oh, he's so much better than I thought he was going to be. So I think I just need to acknowledge that he's actually a great he's good. teen mm. comedy actor. You know, he must be because there there were many minutes where he was like falling in love with Jamie Lee Curtis's with Jamie Lee Curtis as, you know, Anna, the daughter. Yes. And there were many minutes where I like did not think it was weird, where yes. I was like a little like convinced by that romance um and like obviously jamie lee has a lot to do with it but he was he was putting in the work there too he was selling it i fully screamed when that started happening i could not believe the (laughs) movie was going into that plot line where we have he's like the whole idea is that he's 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 Lindsay lohan sort of like high school crush but he's so connected to her inner spirit that when he meets her in the mom's body he's just drawn to that spirit anyway and they have this like incredible cafe scene where they're just like chatting about music and he's falling in love with her and it is so funny and subversive and also i genuinely think we should get a present day jamie lee curtis chad michael murray rom-com because they weirdly have fantastic chemistry together the chemistry is huge. I think she has pretty decent chemistry. We didn't really discuss this, but she has decent chemistry with Arnold, who <laughs> is like one of those sort of like Dwayne Johnson type people who might be a little bit of a chemistry vacuum. Not not to the quite to the same extent as Dwayne Johnson, mm. but the sparks are flying with Chad Michael Murray for sure. And Boy. that that is the thing that that's kind of the main thing about this movie that I completely forgot because again, maybe it wasn't in the trailer. This whole plot line of it sort of reminds me of like Li Shang and Mulan or which I guess is like which I guess is also like a in As You Like It Rosalind and Orlando you know he totally he falls for the she he loves her and then she pretends to be a different guy named Ganymede and then he like there's that chemistry and it's like oh is he falling for Ganymede it's this like it's this thing of like the dopey hot guy can like sense the soul of the person yeah. he loves. Mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. so subversive in this, having it be a woman who, how old, like Jamie Lee Curtis, she's 45, I suppose, in this movie. Yeah. She's yeah. not old, old, but she's, as we say, like fully coded as like the middle aged mom, basically. And it's spicy. And it's, it's, it's the fact that it's so charming and so kind of electric is what makes it funny like if it was just like i don't know if it was played Mm. for cringiness then it wouldn't work but you're like oh yeah i i like watching this so when he comes out and serenades her at the house and you're like oh god this has gotten really bad um it's just (laughs) that serenade is spectacularly bad (laughs) yeah and oh man i love how i love how uh how bad he sounds that it's Mm -hmm. like they don't make him like uh you know, like voice of an angel. 
He's just like, I still believe, still believe. <laughs> yeah, that shit is funny. I will say, so this script was written by two women, Heather Hatch and Leslie Dixon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, okay. I think, Ned, that you you might be right that some of the, like, the actual dialogue itself is pretty corny. A lot of the setups are pretty archetypal. But I actually family think film. the ideas that it's exploring, the movie is exploring in terms of, like, mother-daughter conflict and an inability for a parent and a child to understand how difficult the other one's world is. And then the subversive nature of a teenage boy falling in love with a middle-aged lady, which I feel like we often maybe see the reverse of that. Like we all see mm-hmm. teenage girls like falling in love with older men because yeah. mm-hmm. like male screenwriters can write that dynamic, but it wouldn't maybe occur to them to write the other dynamic. And so mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that there's little touches within this script that are great and really feel like it makes this whole... I don't know. The whole movie has this feminine energy that I actually think a lot of comedies I really love from this era have, like Illegally Blonde and A Princess Diaries or a Josie mm. and the Pussycats. I think there was mm. a cool little period, like kind of a brief period post Spice Girls where we had these like mm. really great or Bring It On falls in this too, like these great oh, yes. sort of subversive female-led comedies that then kind of went away as we got into the more like Judd Apatow, bro-y, gross-out humor phase of comedy so i have such nostalgia for this era and sort of the sneaky things that that i think people were able to get into these movies that i think we need more of these days that's such a great point i I hadn't considered i hadn't thought of that as a as an era um uh on its own but it but it really was um those that particular type of comedy um which are like almost all of them are absolutely iconic now uh and you know i absolutely would watch over any judd apatow movie which i (laughs) Truly, honestly, right now, could not name one for you. <laughs> That's fair, and yeah, it's so interesting. I hadn't really thought of the the sort of his the timeline that you sort of laid out. Where by more like two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, it seems like kind of our most broy toxic impulses were like coming to the fore and really elbowing out that era of comedy and well, it kind of went everything back everything needed to be r-rated and gross out that was sort of what what everyone was leaning into and i think that it mm-hmm. took hollywood a very long time to figure out how to do that with women like not until bridesmaids was were people which was i think 2011 that people were like oh we can do this style but women are in it and not just shrews like it so i think that there was we kind of like locked into this really good pg or pg-13 format and then it took took us like another decade to figure out how to fit women into the the R-rated, you know, thing that was popular then. Yeah. But this is really, like, of its of its era. And, yeah, it, it was of its era in a lot of ways. I mean, from the very, from the credits rolling on this movie, I was like, this has a powerfully 2003 energy to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, the, that's the right way to describe it. That's true. All the pop punk. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All this, all this pop punk. The, like, speed ramping that happens during the, like, opening montage and the, like, clothes shopping montage, which is so cute. The I'd forgotten that this bit of Lindsay Lohan, like, slamming the door and then, like, opening it saying, like, what? I'm ready. I for, I'd assumed that was, mm. like, an edit made for the trailer. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they actually put that in the in the movie. But, yeah, the definitely the sort of, like, pop punk energy of it is very of that time. Something of that time that I really treasure is these, like, full rock song performances i love their whole house of blues show plus their like rehearsal song and their uh like at the wedding but that that whole house of blues sequence where they give you the full song uh the band sounds awesome 
Mm-hmm. You have the like stage fright bit, but it isn't like doesn't turn into like a major embarrassment disaster. Mm-hmm. And then you have this is sort really- of at the climax for the end of the movie for people that yes. don't remember where we have we have Lindsay Lohan with her mom's spirit inside of her is is going on to do the battle of the bands, and so we end up having physically Lindsay on stage pretending to do the guitar and off stage. She's we like, have I can't Jamie do it. Lee Actually, Curtis, like rocking out. One of my favorite lines is um, uh, when Jamie, uh, when the mom at, in Lindsay Lohan's body is talking to her bandmates, um, and they're like, um, "Okay, so we changed the chords from CC to whatever it was," and she looks at them like, "You play notes," <laughs> and it's, it's <laughs> like the the mom they they gave the mom and therefore Lindsay Lohan, I think, like so many of the funnier moments, um, but uh, yeah, that's a, that was a great line. I, yeah. I wrote down the line, the rocking may be in short supply tonight, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Love that line. Yes. So good. From so yeah, then they do, home. sorry to interrupt you a little bit there, Ned, but yeah, the, so they're doing this big climactic performance where we have Jamie off stage rocking out and Lindsay on stage rocking out in, in mom style. Yeah, there's this amazing heroic whip pan over to Jamie Lee Curtis, like doing the sort of singing in the rain, behind the scenes, shredding on the guitar. Sounds she awesome. She looks really good doing it. She looks, she so looks cool. She looks really like, cool doing it. And like in proportion to that at the same time, you have Lindsay Lohan doing honestly hysterical like mom <laughs> dancing. True. And uh, uh, yeah, because oh, she says, uh, you saw the stones. Be like Keith. Keith? Richards, <laughs> mom. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, I will say, though, that she like knows Keith Richards, but apparently doesn't know Stevie Nicks. And I'm I like, noticed that too. Come on. Come on, Anna. Like. Get yes, there's. A, I think you're right that there are. They write to the joke more than the consistency of the characters at frequent points in this movie. I do think this is actually how I feel about the that new the Shazam superhero movie with Zachary Levi, mm. mm-hmm. where it's a kid that becomes an adult superhero. It's like when the, I think sometimes when adults are playing kids, and Jamie Lee leans into this a little bit as well. It's like they play them younger than they actually would be. Like, mm-hmm. I sometimes do feel like the performance Jamie Lee Curtis is giving in Freaky Friday feels a little bit more like a 12 or 13-year-old than a 15-year-old. Because mm-hmm. 15-year-olds are trying to be adults. Right. F- exactly. 15-year-olds are trying mm-hmm. to be adults. And, like, the scene where we're actual teen Lindsay Lohan, Smart. like, she's talking to her teacher about, like, the totalitarian themes of George Orwell, you know? Like, she is a <laughs> yes. pretty smart person. But then when she goes, when she's in her mom's body and she goes into the the therapy scenes she's like fundamentally incapable of at all pretending to be an adult and again it's a case where they're writing to the joke and the joke is funny and i'm not gonna you know demand the most character consistency from this movie but i think there are times when they play her where jamie lee curtis plays the the teen character a little bit younger Mm -hmm. which i guess is more interesting than watching a teen successfully pretending to be an adult i think that's where i land on it too uh, well, I think that's a really savvy thing to say, Caroline, and I think you are, you've actually just hit the nail on the head that you helped me figure out that's what was irritating me is writing to the joke. And that is just something that personally irks me when mm-hmm. a joke is achieved at the cost of like maybe some character consistency, but it's not a fundamental, that is a lot more specific than me, than like me saying the script was hacky. Cause actually so much of it is like so clever, so funny. And as you say, exploring really, Really like fun, cool themes in a cool way. I think I have I I have a personal gripe with making a joke, even when you have sort of violated a rule that you had set up earlier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that I think you're saying is you're you're right. I think the movie's guilty of a little bit of that. But but then uh, yeah, as you say, like it's a 
it's a family movie. They're they're here to make the jokes. Yeah, and I do think the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis is so funny at it helps mm-hmm. it get away with a Excuses lot of those it. inconsistencies. That's that's a that's also a great uh, observation. Um, like, yeah, if she was if she was playing a thirteen year old and it, like looked foolish, um, then we like wouldn't be giving it like this much grace and being like, yes, girl. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, she's so funny. All the little lines she toss off, tosses off where she's like, oh, wait a minute. Or you know, she does all these little like teenage mannerisms and lines that are so funny. I mean, like, oh, my God, I'm you a- are my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Lindsay Lohan is equal. I actually think Lindsay Lohan is fantastic in this. I think that her like buttoned up demeanor, like I think she is really successfully playing an adult pretending to be a teenager and failing <laughs> at it. Mm-hmm. Like the scene where she's where the mom character inside i don't know why i'm finding this so hard to talk about like which character i'm (laughs) discussing at the time the mom inside the teen is trying to break up with the actual teens like you know pseudo boyfriend and she's like you're a very nice young man and you could use a haircut but i just don't think it would be appropriate for us to date right now and you could tell that the mom is like this is exactly how teenagers talk i'm doing a great job of of successfully breaking up with this boy and it comes across so hilariously awkward Mm mm-hmm I also love uh, her. It's it's Lindsay Lohan's first scene playing the mom. She goes over to her little brother slash the son and can't Harry, stop calling is that him his name. Harry, yeah, can't Sorry. stop like calling him honey and like like touching his hair in a mm-hmm. in a very. She just does these like very snappy, quick series of like gestures and lines while struggling to like not give away who she is. That I think she just handles very well. For sure, yeah. yeah, I yeah, no no argument there. But be- before we got too far away from it, I wanted to um, Ned, you brought up the the like early two thousands movies that um, like featured the whole songs in yes. them, and it's like only it's tangentially related, but still you know lots of overlap. I think this is I've identified this as actually my favorite genre of movie period, which is the movie that ends in a finale performance, mm. uh-huh. which which this movie absolutely falls into um, with, you know, Jamie Lee and like wailing on that guitar and the solo and the House of Blues. And I think like there were a lot of them during during this period of time, many of them terrible. Mm-hmm. But no matter how bad they are, it's like there's something about there's something about like a a performer whether a professional seasoned one or a complete amateur like working towards a performance and then like nailing it uh on that stage that you know really gets to me i mean no surprise that it does because you know the consummate theater nord um (laughs) it'll never you know it'll never it'll never go away and i'm not mad at it but um like like you mentioned bring it on which is absolutely in my top five favorite movies fantastic ever Um, it's just, I watched it again, I don't know, last week, week before it's, it's one that I revisit a lot. Right. I think about like, um, like sister act, uh, step up, um, honey, save the last dance, school of rock. Exactly. I, I think what it is, is that they, they like hit all of the same beats as like sports movies. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and they like, they get to that final like moment of achievement, uh essentially um but like sports are dumb and i don't care um but i I do care about like singers and cheerleaders which is not at all to imply that cheerleading is not a sport obviously when i say sports movies i just mean the stereotypically masculine bullshit you know what i mean 
Yes. So I think, yeah, I think that this this particular genre of movie, whatever you want to call it, is my lane 100%. Yeah. yeah. The final performance, I think it's over the credits where they're at the wedding and Lindsay Lohan's band is performing and they're all yeah. in formal wear, but they're barefoot. That whole band is so it's, freaking cool. I want to be friends with so all cool. of them. I love the dynamic they set up where there's two girls who are like her best friends. And then there's two other guys in the bands who just have no lines. I'm like, yes, this is <laughs> movies should have more male characters that have nothing to do and are just there to be set dressing as women mm. are always treated as. Yes. I love that choice. I love how sweet and supportive her band friends are. And this whole arc that I actually think is so true to life where the mom is obsessed with the idea of her daughter staying friends with somebody she was friends with in childhood. Yeah. With my Mm. aunts and stuff where they're like, oh, my God, my daughter isn't friends with this. You know, it's like the parent is having trouble letting go of something without realizing it's healthy for their child to have moved on. And actually this, you know, childhood friend is now a horrible bully. And these new girls that maybe seem too edgy because they're in a punk band, they're actually so wonderfully sweet. And they're like, look, if you end up messing up tonight, of course, we'll forgive you. But let's just try it and we'll work through it. And they're so wonderful and supportive. And it's just because like Jamie Lee char- Jamie Lee's character, she just didn't know them. So she automatically mm-hmm. didn't trust them. And the sort of level of empathy she gains when she's in her daughter's body. I actually think that's like kind of a profound idea for this movie to be exploring. And like the kind of, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't know, but I'm thinking like the kind of stuff that comes like from scripts that are written by women. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, totally. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. Because I, I identified with that. I identified that um, as well, and like I felt like it made the movie like what's the word uh, richer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if traditionally that dynamic exists so much in father son relationships, but it's it is so interesting. The movie, the way that it starts with these you know art history and photographic images of like mothers and daughter, like mother daughter mm-hmm. pairs. It's an interesting way to start the movie because it kind of tees it up. It says, like, this is a movie about mother-daughter relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not just about – I mean, I guess, like, you couldn't really make something about, like, just what if, different body. Well, you probably could and maybe some people have. And maybe some of the copycats of this have done that. But this is using that as a lens to explore mother-daughter relationships. Well, it's also going beyond just saying here is the story of – Anna and Tess it's like here is a here is a specific story of a family that then is more universal as well yeah I had a a question for you guys um please like what um what did you think about the character of the mom regardless of which body the Mm -hmm. character was in Mm -hmm. um like one of the things that um that like I reacted to very positively at least was that she was not at all like a stereotypically soft mom, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know if you have any opinions on this, but like there were there were moments where like the way that she would speak to um, her kids, and, or like the way that she would like react to certain situations, where I was like, oh, that feels like not not like the movie mom that we're used to seeing, and much more like a real mom. Um, like that's much more how like a busy, tired mother would react Mm -hmm. but that also doesn't shift to the other side of that that like binary of mother representation that we usually see which is like you know soft doting mother or like cold distant Mm -hmm. um like detached mother and so yeah i don't know if you had any thoughts about that as well but i no, i think that's a really interesting point i think that it's actually kind of rare that you have a family comedy that's equally rooted in the parent and child perspective it'll either be a comedy that's like 
parents and the kids are the crazy side characters or a lot of teen kid movies and it's sort of like oh we don't really get into the interior life of the parents but i think the fact that this movie is like the opening 25 minutes it really is like here's how being in high school is so so hard and that those hardships Mm -hmm. are legitimate and you understand why anna is sometimes being a brat because a lot of her life is unfair but then similarly it's like and here's why being an adult is so so hard and if your Mm -hmm. daughter is being a brat to you even if she has a reason to be that still is sucks for you and will make mm-hmm. you snap back at her. And I think it really, it has so much empathy for both of those situations. And it is sort of, it's able to dig into why Tess, the mom, acts the way she does in a way that I think you're so right, Purnell, makes you, it just makes you see her as a full human being, as opposed to, like you're saying, either the nice mom archetype or the mean mom archetype, you're sort of able to see the full range of both sides of, of her. Yeah, it's the it's the empathy that makes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think because as we sort of said, probably the last time I saw this, I was somewhere in the thirteen to fifteen, like seventeen at the very oldest. The last time I saw this, I probably was, I probably saw Tess's life is a lot more just sort of generic generic mom stuff, and there's some of that particularly mm-hmm. in the beginning. It's like, oh, she haggles with the caterer over the price of halibut. Like, okay, I don't identify with that, but. I did this time find a lot more to dig into in terms of just the concept of trying to manage a family. Mm-hmm. You know, as as I as I get to an age where I am more and more I'm just at a different point in my life and I have friends who are starting to start their own families and I'm more able to empathize mm-hmm. with the struggles of being an adult and understanding that adults are fallible people with their own sort of psychological mishmash of perspectives and conditions who are suddenly placed in this position of having to sort of organize a family and you know one of the things they they explore is yeah you you have to kind of try to manage your kids relationships i mean you have to she's managing the relationship of her kids to each other but she also has opinions as you said about who her friends are and who she dates and and i think i just felt i understood or was able to engage a little bit more with those sort of things that the mom is carrying around Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you see, again, I just think it's so good at making you see both points of view, the mom and the daughters, because Mm -hmm. you see things where it's like, yeah, there are times where her little brother is really annoying to her, and the mom is taking the brother's side over Anna's, which feels unfair. But then you also Mm -hmm. see, okay, well, A, the brother's younger, so it sort of makes sense that you have to protect him a little more. And then when when, um, Anna and her mom's body goes to the parent-teacher conference and learns that her brother is struggling with bullies and having his own problems. And so, of course, the mom has sort of been trying to protect him in, in his own way, and Anna maybe hasn't been thinking from it thinking about it from that point of view mm-hmm. this was the first scene that made me cry that where she, where anna reads the essay that her little brother has wrote written about her and like why she's the best older sister mm-hmm. and yeah. then and then all of a sudden she and this is a complete credit to jamie lee curtis who's actually the one playing the scene but she comes into the parent teacher conference all like oh i don't care about my annoying little brother i don't want to do this conference and then she reads this essay and like completely softens and then you almost see the way jamie lee curtis plays it it's like her the teenage spirit within her realizes okay i should be a little more mature and actually pretend to be a mom so that i'm not deeply scarring my little brother forever Mm -hmm. and then takes such a nice attitude towards him and the little scene where they're walking down the hall and she kind of like playfully kicks him and he tries to do it back like that whole sequence is so lovely yeah both as it's written and i think especially as it's performed yeah hard agree 
I, I don't I don't blame you for for jerking a tear for crying. <laughs> yes. Did you guys too? Were there other were there scenes that made you guys tear up? Am I alone in my <laughs> intense emotional reaction to Freaky Friday? No, um, because like as I mentioned, like this genre just like hits me in a way. So like they mm-hmm. got to that, even though I'd seen it before, I knew exactly what was going to happen. They got to that end performance, and um, Anna in jamie lee curtis's body um like starts wailing on that guitar and they like finish their they finish their performance and then afterwards um the band like gets into this show that they were auditioning for or whatever and they they had this conversation about it's like it's sort of like it's sort of like they're beginning to reconcile and they're like oh no that was really hard i had no idea how difficult this this music playing was for you and yeah so like yeah that that musical climax definitely some tears fell it's nice how it's structured in, I mean, I feel like the prototypical version of this is the story of the prince and the pauper. I don't know if that story is one that has an original author, uh, but this idea of like, I feel like the story of the prince and the pauper, as I understand it, and I just had like a Mickey Mouse version of it as a kid, but it basically is like, my life is so hard. My life is so hard. Let's switch lives. And then all day, it's basically like, oh man, your life is really hard. And then they switch back and they're like, I take it back. I like my life. And this one is a lot more nuanced than that. It has a lot more like ebb and flow as well as a lot more like fucking up in each other's lives. There's like a whole, Mm -hmm. they sort of are uncomfortable and then they agree to do it and then they kind of hit their stride. But once they're hitting their stride, they have these moments where they are sort of like causing chaos. Like when, when Tess inside Anna's body. So Lindsay Lohan as mom goes to finish her test and then is like sort of meanly, she, she has, had trouble finishing this honors exam because of some bullying by her former friend bully. And then she very vindictively like destroys the bully's test, which that moment made me legit like gasp out loud. I was like, Oh my God. And I also, I was expecting the movie was just going to play it off as like, haha, that was a funny thing she did. And the part where Chad Michael Murray calls her out for it. I was like, damn, good job movie. Like that was a really horrible thing she did. And good on you Mm. for calling that out as a moment where the mom snapped within this teenage environment that she was like why can't my daughter handle this high school environment it's so easy mm-hmm. like you see how the daughter how the mom it's like a it's like maybe i was like damn high school is just like a prison experiment <laughs> where you're just sort of psychologically manipulated and Kinda, of course there's yeah. times you snap and you see that even with the reasonable you know trained therapist mom she's so frustrated by this environment that she snaps mm-hmm. and does something that's very cruel and then rightly gets called out for it yeah I do, and I do think the movie, like, even, um, it does, like, do a good job of addressing it in the scene, um, as well. Cause, like, she does it, and then it, it, it even allows it to, like, focus in on him in the back, like, looking mm-hmm. at her, like, really now. Yeah. So, I was, yeah, I appreciated that. Yeah. Another moment where there was just more to his character, to Chad Michael Murray's character than I remembered. And I think yeah. it's really, it's really cool. Mm. He's not a one note, like, crush guy at all. I was going to say similarly with Mark Harmon, who plays the the guy that the mom is about to marry the next day, mm, I think mm-hmm. is similarly sort of written as just like the guy that's around. But Decent then he guy. gets he gets a beautiful, like frankly, a beautiful scene where yeah. mom and yeah, sorry, Anna and mom's body sort of just like says something that sort of assumes that he won't care about Anna. And he has a really yeah, good she similar says, moment. She says uh, Anna in mom's body says to Anna's friends, um, like that this guy doesn't care about their band. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, like, really wounded by that. Um, and he's, he's basically like, this... like, I don't want to marry you if that's what you think about me. Mm-hmm. Because I care deeply about your family and I'm marrying your entire family. I'm not just marrying you. And I love, this is what I love, too, because I think that 
there can be a tendency, maybe especially now when we're in this like girl boss feminism era, where it's sort of like, and ladies, you're always right. And like, you don't need a man and da 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 da. And it's mm. very simplistic. And this movie, I think, really does center women and like celebrates women. But then it's also like, and sometimes women are wrong and men are correct and they rightly call them out for it, which I think is part of feminism mm. too. Like, feminism is not men shut up and it's only women. Like, I think that that's actually a very cool feminist move to have these very thoughtful men who are willing to advocate for themselves and like hold the people that they love or are interested in to this high, you know, standard that they would want to hold themselves to. I just think yes. all the I just think there's this movie em- is so great. Yeah, there's there's empathy for everybody, for like all of the the characters who are like in relationship with each other. Um yeah. which is yeah, that's like that's a thing that we hope for in our or like we should be hoping for in our real lives. Uh, yeah. Right? Should we talk about I would say inarguably the worst part of this movie which is the absolutely bizarre decision to make the body swap happen via very racist Chinese Chinese caricatures oh my god yeah Um, they go to this restaurant and like the mom uh, or like the the waitress the the daughter waitress um like starts talking at first Rosalind Cho who I know from Star Trek D Space Nine Keiko O'Brien Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. My, um, I'll have to check her out in that. Um, Pernell, she, like, I don't starts... know if you're a Star Trek fan. My gut says I'm you deep into Discovery Star Trek right Deep Space now. Nine, so I really feel like I want to recommend that to you. Okay, no, I'm, li- I'm listening. Uh, I'm like, Sweet. I'm in season three of, of Discovery. I'm loving it. Oh. Um, so I'm like, uh, I'm, I, I will go back because um, it's the like it's the newest, most recent one. Okay, great. Yes, I would really highly recommend Deep Space Nine as a, as a second Star Trek option for you you know what you told me this years ago have i <laughs> yes at least i'm consistent yes. that tracks yeah you told me this years ago um and i think i think i like went looking for it at the mm-hmm. time and i think i just didn't get into it because i was having trouble accessing it um but now now Not is definitely the time, the time. <laughs> yes anyway um, horrible horrible uh wonderful actress unfortunately yeah. has to play a very racist sort of stere- stereotype of this sort of mystic asian <laughs> also comedic punching bag i don't mm-hmm. know just n- nothing that you want to be <laughs> happening in this sequence no it's 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 when i said this movie is a powerfully 2003 energy i meant that in like 95 percent a good way you know it it shows its age in a way that is like mostly charming but there this is the one aspect to which it shows its age in a way that is like you know, very difficult to look at. I mean, the phrase strange Asian voodoo is in this movie, and I don't think it's entirely ironic, or at least not in the way in which we now would look at that and say, oh, 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 It was kind of on the tail end, hopefully, of an era in which, I mean, you know, these things have certainly not gone away entirely, and in some cases they've just uh, mutated and gotten more subtle, but it was probably near the end of a time in which you could just put like a a mystic chinese grandma does some mystic chinese mysticism into a movie and not be doing that as a complete caricature of itself yes this uh element of this movie um like i reacted to it very strongly because from the first moment that they walked into this um chinese restaurant and they speak to the hostess um who's the actress um uh, in mm-hmm. deep space nine that you mentioned the character the caricature um like of the accent that came out immediately um i was like oh no we're not doing this are we and i didn't remember i i definitely didn't remember the mechanic of the switch and so we get to them arguing in the back and the mom comes up and 
I the mom of the sort of Chinese restaurant owner. Yes. Um, yes. Not the mom that we've been <laughs> talking Jamie about Lee. this whole time. <laughs> yes. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, when she comes up, and I would wager um, is like telling them what the fortune cookie does like would do the switch like we'll switch their bodies like in cantonese so they don't understand and i said uh my partner was here while watching the movie with me and i said out loud like oh no not the mystical orientalism and like i don't even know if that's the correct phrase for it or anything like that but it stuck out so strongly and like especially because it had already it had already stuck out to me that there's not a single black person in this whole film like anywhere um and like that is a thing i've already learned to i do not accept it anymore i don't watch any more media that doesn't have black people in it but like this was a movie i'd already seen so i was like you know with when there's nostalgia and you and past properties involved we give it a little leeway um so i was like all right fine but uh yeah that on top of this like orientalism that they threw in and not yet. And you, I think you were mentioning this as well. Not just that, um, but that they also made them this, what's the word? Like, like far, they're, they're sort of farcical. Um, yeah, the, like, they're like the butt of the joke a little bit. Yes. Um, they, they make them, they make them dumb. Um, they yeah. make them seem dumb. And I also, I really didn't like that. Um, like the way, um, the, in fact, the very last moment of the film, the mother of the restaurant, the Chinese mother, is going to give another set of fortune cookies to Harry, the little brother, and the grandfather, who we, I don't think we mentioned, um, but, you know, yeah. he's a man. He's not important. <laughs> True. <laughs> and so, like, the two, the, the, the boy and the, and the grandfather about to open the, the fortune cookies, and they do another one of those, um, like, sprint tackle moments, mm-hmm. and the, the hostess, the Chinese hostess, um, like, grabs the cookies and is like, you know, looking triumphant. Um, and like, that's how the movie closes. Um, and that definitely does not leave a good taste in your mouth in an overall really good movie. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. And I think what's especially upsetting, so this movie is based on, there's actually originally a novel from 1972 and then and then more famously a uh, Jodie Foster movie from 1976 where Jodie Foster plays the, the kid role. And so knowing this, mm-hmm. but having not read or seen those properties, I was like, okay, maybe, the, you know, it's bad in any case, but maybe this is some holdover from the 70s when things were even mm-hmm. less socially conscious. Nope. In those versions, they just wish to switch. And then they get switch. out of here. So this is fully a thing that this movie in 2003 just needlessly decided to add you caroline are you trying to tell me that these like fully grown women after the year 2000 like we're talking new millennium Mm -hmm. yeah came up with the line freaky asian voodoo yes yes they fully did they took up they took a premise that was not at all problematic which was a mother and daughter saying i wish we could switch roles and just decided to throw a whole bunch of racism into there for truly absolutely no reason I and it's absolutely a assumed that came from the previous, the the original iterations yeah, of this. You've given them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I, I'm i almost 30. I've learned by now not to do that anymore. So that's my bad. Um, <laughs> what, to stop <laughs> giving things the benefit of the doubt? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, particularly like white people. Yeah. It is also very, a good lesson that like history is not linear. This idea that like, oh, everything is slowly getting better and better. It's like, no, there were definitely... Many, many times where things get worse. And this movie from 2003 mm-hmm. is a, is yes, a, is a very good example of 
of that phenomenon. Yeah, and the level of sort of absurdity that people were comfortable putting into like Asian clown characters in white Western produced films up to mm-hmm. clearly the 21st century, up through the 21st century. It honestly is like at this level of like ridiculous. Are you thinking about Wong? Um. Oh wait. Oh, Wong from uh from from uh Doctor Strange. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. He's he's like he's a few degrees pulled back from this. I'm thinking of like I'm I'm thinking of uh some of the characters played by Gede Watanabe in movies like I think it's Sixteen Candles and UHF. Sure. Um. Mm-hmm. It's like. 1920s era levels of offensive caricature. You know, the the the, mm, the, mm. the Korean bodega owners and do the right thing. I mean, do the right thing. I think is one of the greatest movies ever made. But like, I think you could you could sort no, of so. you could take a critical eye to that. It's kind of insane how f- close to our present moment, and as you say, maybe including our present moment, how comfortable, how much permission people feel that I think a mainstream Western audience, because of the level of conversation and because of the sort of like how a uh, high profile discussion of blackface and just general like minstrelsy and minstrel style humor is things mm-hmm. that a lot of people would recognize as hateful and dangerous in, in that realm. They just take this totally permissive attitude when it's Asians because, mm-hmm. because of this sort of like racial triangularization where they're seen as like not quite an, an oppressed group in the same way by a lot of people. Yes, yes. Lots of lots of difficulties with that. The like prox- the perceived proximity to whiteness and like assimilation that I mean, I'm not a white person obviously, but like I assume that from their perspective, you know, that is a uh, there there is a way that, you know, they would be receiving the ways that many Asian and Asian American people have been forced to like navigate in American culture and then like twisting that yeah. uh, to you know fit their own like comfort with l- their comfortable understanding of the world. Yes. And like the terrorists in True Lies, like some of the more caricatured elements of Slumdog Millionaire, like lots of things that we're going to continue to see in white directed movies, masses of, of of white American audiences were surely able to just take it at face value and say, yes, this seems fine. While, of course, the portrayal that we're talking about in here uh, of these Asian characters, like all those other ones, was, you know, almost certainly met with uh, frustration, pain, you know, on the part of actual Asian Americans watching it at the time. But of course, like... Right, yeah, important to say. Yeah, it was certainly that, you know, I'm sure that contemporarily, like, it's one of the sort of threads we keep coming back to is you can't look back with rose-colored glasses and say, like, nobody knew it was wrong and nobody was telling anyone that it was wrong. It's like, no, mm-hmm. that was known, but then clearly, you know, they just didn't care. Oh, yes. I love to remind people of that all the time, yeah. um, you know, because that that uh, that idea sort of um, just presumes that the whatever identity you happen to be talking about in that moment um didn't exist uh yeah. at that time um or people of that identity were would for some reason subscribe to your own ideals which of course just you know supports your own ideals um so like yeah that's a it's a it's a relevant convert that's a relevant topic almost every day of our lives um yeah <laughs> yeah definitely a very unfortunate element of this 
movie's legacy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say, though, that, like, I am also uh, um, of the opinion that, you know, while I am extremely unforgiving of problematic media made by white people, um, I am also acknowledging that media made by all people is problematic in many different ways. And, like, we should be taking critical eyes to all of the things that um, that we not only like recognizes critical, but also the things that we at first enjoy uncritically, the things that come off to us as as wonderful and the things that we love. Um, we should also be spending the time to think about how and why other people might not yes. love those things. I think there can be space for both conversations for sure. I don't, I will just fully admit I don't have a great segue out of this, but one other thing just to fully switch topics. Love it. Transition. Not not to leave that just to leave that as is, but I wanted to to say another random thing I thought about which is the the small subplot about the Anna's teacher sort of being very cruel to mm. her because he tried to date her mom in high school and she mm-hmm. dumped him. I was like this is just Severus Snape but not played sympathetically. <laughs> Because like oh actually, god. what Severus Snape did is bad. You mean he was? Oh my god! He was dumped. So he was spurned romantically. Not even dumped. He was. He he was in love with someone who was already in love with someone else. As uh, as Lindsay Lohan delivers in another, I think iconic line. She had a boyfriend, and you were weird. And you were weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, uh, and then he just antagonizes the uh, child, the offspring of that person for a long time. Yeah. I have never thought about that parallel. But it's and instead there. of this movie being like, actually, he's a tragic, heroic figure, this movie's like, no, he's horrible and bad, and we're done with him now. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, it's that easy. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. Any other any other moments or members of the ensemble we want to shout out? Yes. Yes. Um, absolutely have to shout out Christina Vidal um, of Taina fame on Nickelodeon, um, because she is... <gasps> iconic to me um i know i can't wait to see my name in lights no one's gonna stop me you will see i will go far yes thank you yeah never remember damn dude i but i didn't connect it at all i just oh wow that's tiny that's her that's my girl oh man um so yes we hadn't talked about that before so i couldn't i couldn't let us go without giving some love to miss vidal yeah she's great small small simple part but she does great and, uh, but she I, killed it, especially in that last in those last moments where they're rocking it on that outdoor stage. Yeah. Do you think she's really singing? Um, she's credited on the soundtrack. That that does it. I think that, that answers <laughs> that. Yeah, she sounds mm-hmm. great. I mean, she's uh, sings on Taina. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Wow. Oh, I hadn't even put that together. Oh, what's she up to? Yeah. Anything? Nothing that I know recently. The last thing I remember is this uh, horror movie. I want to say it was Hostel uh that she was in oh. um no and the only thing i remember about that movie is there was like someone was hiding from whatever monster in a closet and then their phone rings and then the monster finds them like the killer monster mm-hmm. and he takes the phone and like very 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 slowly shoves it down their throat Ooh. um and it is one of the most like chilling disturbing just graphic things i've ever seen it really stuck with me from that movie um you know, just happy to share that with you all. <laughs> well, she was in a an ABC sitcom that aired for one season last year and then was canceled. So she's still around. She okay. doesn't have her sitcom anymore, but you know, she's still booking stuff. Oh, that's good. What show is that? It's called United We Fall. Uh, okay, yeah, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> Ned, was there other like Jamie Lee Curtis 
life stuff we wanted to, to fill yeah. in on our, on our journey of following her life and career? Well, yeah, the two things, one that you had mentioned about in this is that um, she was sort of relatively recently in recovery uh, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. a Vicodin addiction, which we haven't really covered, but she is very vocal about. It's a very, I think it's an important part of her public identity. She, you know, her her relationship to, you know, the press junkets, the public, all that thing. I think we've talked about the ways, some ways in which she, she doesn't shy away from interviews like a, like a Christian Bale. Um, and mm-hmm. she isn't quite as sort of like uh, polished nice as, as Emily Blunt. Yeah. She's, she's frank and candid and sometimes a little like, I don't know, it's not snarky. It's like quippy. She just is like, uh, she's she's got kind of a, a fun, like, devil-may-care attitude. But I think it's pretty clear that she has at a couple times thought really purposefully about, you know, what her, what her, what she wants to be a voice for, what issues she wants to use her platform to champion. And two mm-hmm. of them sort of start around this time. She tells in a recent interview, she says, I underwent an eye job when I was 35 years old because one day I was on the movie Perfect and Gordon Willis, the great cameraman, looked at me and said, yeah, I'm not shooting her today. I was puffy that day for whatever reason. I was mortified. Right after that movie, I went and had an eye job. That's when I found Vicodin and the cycle of addiction began with that. So she basically had a essentially a completely secret, secret from seemingly everyone, including her family, Vicodin addiction. She was, you know... She talks about her routine. She's like, it was Vika clock. You know, I had, I would basically have Vicodin and a glass of wine like every night. And as she sort of describes it, that was just something that she made a part of her life. And she was seemingly high functioning and felt like she could get away with it. But uh, she talks about a moment in 1998 when this, she says a, a, a Brazilian healer woman was staying with us and she saw me. And was like, I see you and kind of just like called her out on it and said like, you know, you're not living with this. And she also Mm. cites this 1999 article by a guy named Tom Curella, who wrote Vicodin, my Vicodin in a magazine. I forget. Um, Esquire, yeah. Esquire. There we go. So, so. He was essentially a high-profile writer who sort of outed himself and was sort of saying, with this, I choose to out myself so that, you know, everyone knows. And I'm like, you know, maybe he didn't use these terms, but basically like creating a support network by by getting rid of the pretense. And and he he talked about hiding Vicodin in the tip of his cowboy boot in the closet. And she was like, that's me. That's the same thing I do. And um, not long after that, went to a meeting. And has basically been sober since that time. So, you know, 21, 21 years now. Yeah, I think 22. She had an Instagram post this year that I think was celebrating 22, 22 years. years sober. And yeah, she. what I found was that she had started, she started talking about this in 2001, which is, and she continues to talk about it now, but it really was, you know, I think now it's slightly more common to hear people at least talk about sort of opioid addiction, but she was really, you know, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways leaving, charging a path in that. Um, talking about it in a Red Book magazine cover story, sort of talking about her sobriety. And one quote I found that was relevant to Freaky Friday, and I think it's just so sweet. She said, I think this was from a more recent 
Variety article, but she said uh, that she brings sobriety with her. She's attended recovering meetings all over the world. She said, I was probably about nine months sober when I made Freaky Friday. I put a big sign up by the catering truck and it said recovery meeting in Jamie's trailer every day. I left the door Mm. open and didn't know if anybody would show up. We ended up calling it the mobile home recovery meeting. It was probably my favorite grouping of sobriety that I've ever participated in. I've participated in groups all over the world, but there was something about that cross section of ages and genders and jobs and races. And it was profound. So that's like mm. a really nice little behind the scenes story of what was going on in, during the making of Freaky Friday. Oh, Freaky Friday. Yeah. I do yeah, I didn't I didn't know um that um like this that she had this history and this this was um like part of her public persona now like being sort of um uh an addiction and recovery um spokesperson activist um I don't know how she would want to refer to that. And I do like I I love that I love anyone, you know, taking the efforts to make themselves healthy and and having the ability to do that. It is a thing that I like do feel a little complicated about um, because we know that this being able to be public um, about your addiction and get um, the the access and resources to not only help you, but the support to like maintain your um, incredibly high status career is just like not a thing that's afforded to anybody um, that isn't white. Um, yeah. And like, particularly with this, um, like you mentioned, Caroline, um, we are more recently like talking about opioid addiction publicly. Um, and I have like similar complicated feelings um, about that, about that, because it is not the first time that that drugs have affected majorly communities in mm-hmm. America. Um, but this is the first time that we're calling it an epidemic. So yeah, I, it, like for, like personally, I'm like, yeah, uh, good for you, Jamie Lee Curtis, like put on, put on that meeting in your trailer and, and wherever you can and bring people together for healing. That is a thing that I think is beautiful and I ain't got nothing bad to say about that. Um, but it is a ambivalence of like also recognizing like, all right, but like, you're able to do that and like not really anybody else can yeah Pernell, those are such wonderful points and thank you for making them because frankly i don't think i would have thought to frame it that way and you are of course 100 percent correct in everything you just said so thank you for bringing that perspective yeah for sure another of many 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 excellent insights on this episode so here's one other sort of topic that maybe will be equally complicated again too but another thing that was going on uh that is right before so 2002 she has this appearance in more magazine where she does what i think of as being sort of an iconic side-by-side photo shoot that was her idea she contacted the magazine and suggested this it was to do a shoot uh that is her what she calls glam jamie where she's like in a you know a slimming black dress and like fully made up and styled and airbrushed and I think in that photo, you actually like have photos of makeup technicians around her, like touching her up. And to do that side by side with her in like her sports bra, basically just like in her normal non-glam underwear, no makeup, no touching up as, you know, a 45 year old or at the time, 44 year old woman. And she was, so she's got this whole children's book writing career. Mm-hmm. She had just written this book called I'm Gonna Like Me, Letting Off a Little Self-Esteem. And said, you know, I felt if I was, you know, going to try to promote something where I'm trying to explain self-esteem to children, I need to live it. And for me to live it, it means I need to be the person I look at every morning when I wake up and stand in the mirror, you know, kind of as God intended me to look. And it is, it is another example of something that I think 
we need to do a little like mental time machine because to like where the conversation was on like Hollywood women appearing untouched up in 2003. Like it was Mm -hmm. not, I think honestly, like, like you'll see ad campaigns now that in a way that maybe is not impossible to see as disingenuous, but we'll do like, look, the natural women in all their glory, you know, it's gone a little bit more mainstream now. And I think was Mm -hmm. kind of like a bombshell at the time. Now it's like, it's true that Jamie Lee Curtis is like, you know, she's still always has been like a, I think a conventionally attractive, like white woman movie star, but the exceptionally attractive. Say again. Sorry, I said exceptionally attractive. Ex- exceptionally, exceptionally conventionally attractive. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and yet it is like, it was, I think, not unlike anything you were going to see of any other movie star in any other publication at the time. And I just recall hearing about that, not really having, I don't know, exactly the framework to process it, but she was sort of talking about, uh, you know, I'm scared of like, this look, this like, you know, the captions of the photo mention how it was three hours and three and the skills of 13 people to get her into the glam Jamie mode. She said, I'm scared. That's what women have become accustomed to needing to feel good about themselves. So I think of these as being kind of her two hot button issues that she's like, Mm -hmm. I want to address Mm -hmm. addiction and recovery from the lens of basically like, I mean, in both cases, it is, it is her saying, I want to destigmatize X Mm -hmm. and, you know, saying, I've got a platform. I mean, she has essentially, as we've sort of covered multiple times, all the privilege in the world. She is all the identities we discussed. She is the daughter of movie stars, and she at this point is literally married to a to a British lord. Yeah. But uh, I actually think, can I jump in? I actually feel like she is a rare example of a person who actually, or at least from what I've read, seen from these interviews, I feel like she's actually very aware of those privileges mm-hmm, and uses mm-hmm. them to try to push these issues further yeah like mm-hmm. I, am, I am always hesitant to sort of give anyone in hollywood credit for being you know a fully socially conscious person <laughs> mm-hmm. and i'm sure she has her flaws but i do think in general the sort of confidence she has from the legacy she comes from gives her more confidence than to speak out about these things and say yeah of course i became a movie star because my parents are famous like you know she's very open about not trying to Mm -hmm. sell herself as like oh i came from humble origins and they didn't give me a leg up she's like yeah i got that helped me in my career and hey this is how women actually look and i just like i i do really think for the most part she seems to be using that power for good yeah which is exactly which is exactly what we should be expecting from people bare yeah. yes i think you know expecting yeah yeah i think i i agree caroline that it's like you don't want to well i actually have a whole i have a whole big beef with stan culture i this <laughs> sure. idea of just the way in which on twitter every day there's another fight established by people who have basically decided that they have to like go to bat for the honor of a celebrity who like will never meet them will never do anything tangible for them and like we'll, we'll never know the like difficulties that whatever x random person has lived but but i do think it is good to see her saying you know as you say like i have all the privilege in the world what do i want to sort of like point my focus at and can Mm -hmm. i can i move the needle at all and i think you could argue i think you could argue i don't have the like uh you know anthropological the like social anthropology to document this but i think you could argue that maybe that uh that photo shoot she did and sort of working on saying like 
her waging a sort of like a concerted campaign against unrealistic beauty standards for women. Maybe it has moved the needle. Oh, sure. I mean, from 2003, yeah. No, this is mm-hmm. definitely like mm-hmm. very revolutionary stuff for what was going on at the time, certainly. Um, that I mean, we could have a whole other full podcast episode. We could go about, and go and go. <laughs> um, <laughs> body standards and how they've changed. But mm-hmm. no, I think it's very cool that she did this photo shoot. If you look up the photos now, I mean, frankly, what this photo is now, you don't see celebrities post like this in magazines even today. Like, yeah, you see a Dove campaign that's using models that look like this. But I think that this would still be a kind of unusual thing for a celebrity to do mm. today. While we're sort of on the topic of just like Jamie Lee's persona in general, one thing I pointed wanted to point out was that last week we talked about True Lies, a movie that came out nine years before Freaky Friday. Mm-hmm. In that movie, Jamie Lee is, I think she's like 34, 35 when they made it, and she's got a 14-year-old daughter. Flash forward to nine years later, when she's 45, she's still playing the mother to a 15-year-old daughter, right? It's like, we put her in that mom role, and that's just like mm. a decade of your life, and your daughter's going to stay the same age. Yeah. And you're going to, you know, and in True Lies, I think Arnold is is like about a decade or so older than Jamie Lee Curtis in Freaky Friday. Mark Harmon is about a decade older than her. Like you really see in her career this double standard of the ages in which women get slotted into these roles versus the ages in which men get slotted into these roles. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. Like I'm sure it has to do with that that wild ass comment that that guy made about her eyes yeah and like the re- like the reason she went in and got that surgery like fuck that guy first of all um but like yeah the, those seem part and parcel with each mm-hmm. other no and you're so right that if she is yeah i mean even just w- within what we've just covered like that she's at a certain age where she's feeling compelled to get this plastic surgery based on a comment she said and then to grow and become the person that's like okay now i want to release an untouched photo like i think you could probably even see in her an arc of what you know mm-hmm what she experienced and grew as in the, over the course of her career. Yeah. Yeah. And these are both issues. Yeah. It's like where her, it's very personal. It's not, it's not just saying like, what do I care about? Um, save the whales. It's like, she is responding mm-hmm. to elements of her own, you know, mm-hmm. lifelong, lifelong emotional journey and feeling like she had this, these are both two things where she sort of like, you know, had her own sort of issues and then feels like she resolved them in her own way and then says, okay, I'm going to try to set the path out for some people. Maybe not for everybody, but uh, for some people. Yeah. And and it is a it is an incredibly important thing. Like we are all every single one of us like steeped in this crazy ass media culture, you know? Like we're all influenced um by the images that that were shown. Um so like for her to for her to make this the thing, you know, that she like wants to speak truth to, um, mm-hmm. it is something that is important to like actually all of us, um, as opposed to some, like saving the whales or whatever. Hey, no shade to the whales, but yeah, no shade, to the whales. <laughs> no shade at all. Can Love I read another? If we want more Star Trek, there's a whole movie about saving the whales. Um, can I read In one space. more quote that that um she said around the time of this movie? I think it was a Telegraph article. Just sort of talking about how she had sort of been wondering, you know, I'm heading into my 40s. Am I basically just going to retire from acting and write these kids books and then, you know, gets Freaky Friday? And so in this interview, she said, Mm -hmm. when I was 25, there was a group of actresses all at the top of their game and I never got the best roles. Never. But not one of them is working anymore. No, mister, I won't name names, but I'm here, 45, headlining a movie that just made $100 million. I'm like that Sondheim song. I'm still here. How did that happen? You snapped to that. And I just love everything about that so much. 
Oh my god, yes. Name names Jamie Lee. <laughs> I love that. And then I love that, like, you know, this is a this is an article she does in 2003. And then to this to this very day, she's still here. Like she really has mm-hmm. persevered through an era that was not always kind to women actresses. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I love that she's still around. I mean, it's crazy. I, I know it's like now. Now you could say I'm still here. It's crazy that Hollywood, the landscape is for actresses such that at 45, she's like, I'm still here. And I survived all the way to 45. In True Lies, Arnold Schwarzenegger was 47 years old. (laughs) He was not giving articles that's like, man, I'm so lucky to still be here as a man. I can't believe it. In my old decrepit age, still Mm -hmm. being able to lead movies. I'm still here, baby. Mm And like honestly, we should we should be making them write letters like that. <laughs> we should be grateful. Any last looks at uh, Freaky Friday? I just wanted to say the the uh, maybe the only other big scene we haven't talked on is that uh, talked on that we haven't spoken about is that um, the the final scene at the rehearsal dinner where Jamie mm. as the daughter gives the speech that basically says that she would like her mom to marry this guy that she has been so doubtful about. This was what really made me cry. This just like beautiful speech about how her dad died and she felt so trepidatious about a new person coming into their family. And and that was just bringing out all of her insecurities. But now she realizes that like a new person coming into their life, it doesn't have to be a replacement for what the original family was. It can just be a new kind of family. And it, those are themes that, like, haven't quite been as much throughout the whole rest of the movie. They, It's, like, been hinted at. And it yeah. almost makes it more powerful when it all gets solidified there. And you're watching the mom and Lindsay Lohan's body sort of watching her from across the room. And I just thought all that was so beautiful. And Jamie plays it so beautifully. And, again, just, like, so much more depth than I expected the movie Freaky Friday to have. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was one of those moments um, where Jamie really nailed that um like teenager um like being teenager being mature mm-hmm. kind of acting um like i just as an act like as an actor i can i know like how easy it would have been to to like slip into your more natural instincts when you are leaning away from the way that you've been playing that character the whole time like when you're trying to show a more mature version of your character and not letting that like mature into yourself basically um and like she's like right right there of being like i'm giving these extremely um complex adult um ideas and feelings but like i'm still i'm still playing it as a as a kid trying to be mm-hmm. an adult yeah, yeah it's that was a that was a lovely performance it's still notably that and it's but it it's a version of that where she has, over the course of the movie, I guess over the course of Friday, settled into doing it. So <laughs> it doesn't have the kind of like her, I mean, me, I mean, oh, no, that like sort of like punctuates the comic beats earlier in that day. It's like mm. part of what they've learned to do is like sit comfortably in these in each other's role. But in a way where, as you say, like, like, shout out to the performance, like, it isn't the same as her just being Tess again, you know? Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. is doing a good job of acting as an Anna who is doing a pretty good job of acting as Tess. And those layers yeah. are there. Yeah. Oh, you guys, I want to rewatch this movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to make up for all of the years I didn't watch it. Now this is just going to be my annual viewing. 
Are you going to also watch the original and the musical? You know what? I did want to check out the musical. They remade this as a DCOM, a Disney Channel original movie in 2018 with mm-hmm. Heidi Blickenstaff, who's one of my um, favorite Broadway performers. I watched one song from it and I was like, "Ooh, this is catchy. I definitely want to watch this movie. So I, w- Prunella, I will also oh, be checking that one out. Okay. I was like kind of joking a little bit, but now that you've said oh, no, that, I'm I do want to check it out. Okay. Listen, if there's a DCOM musical, I'll watch it. <laughs> I'm going to look. Okay. We'll have you back on to do <laughs> the Freaky Friday musical episode I'm when down. we cover it. Yeah. I'm down. It's a date. Well, we'll definitely have you on for something. Yeah. we uh, we. It's been fun having you on the show, Pernell. Thank you so much for so many brilliant insights. It has been so great. Do you have anything you want to plug for our listeners? Where can they find you? I don't have any particular projects to plug at the moment. I've got um, one big thing in the works um, that probably won't come out for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Pernell Van, uh, P-E-R-N-E-L-L-V-A-N. As we mentioned, um, I'm extremely obnoxious and sometimes um, like not you know, safe for children or work. Um, so just like, keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> I am... I'm an actor too. Uh, I've been in a couple of films that are in post-production. So, um, you know, if you're following me, you'll see those come out, you know, in the next few months, hopefully. That's Heck yeah. so and exciting. Did you, do, you did like a Static Shock series. Yeah, is that, am I right yeah. in saying that? Is that, that is, something we yeah, can that's point one of our the listeners things, towards? That's one of the things that, that you can look forward to. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully this fall. Um, I played um virgil hawkins aka static the uh, superhero in a short film that like actually it was so fun to do um and i think it'll look pretty cool once it does come out yeah i'm cool. incredibly psyched for that as a as a yeah. huge fan of the like saturday morning cartoon of static which was my introduction to that character i cannot wait to see him brought to life in live action by none other than Purnell. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, if you if you're interested in Purnell's movie takes, there's a you just have like a running thread that I assume is like pinned to the top of your Twitter probably. Yes, of, it is it's still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Purnell watches movies. Um Purnell watches a lot of movies and he is extremely good at distilling uh his reviews down into tweet length reviews, which uh are funny, entertaining, and they give you the main reason why you would watch that movie. And uh I assume that thread is like real long at this point. I haven't like gone back it's to the definitely. Beginning. It's over a hundred movies by now. Nice. So I, I should I should probably like like reorganize it into a way that's like more user friendly to look at. But yeah, do or maybe do. that's the next maybe that's the next project actually. Okay, well everybody needs a project, right? Uh, not that not that it sounds like you're entirely without them, but uh, all all very exciting. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here, Fennell. It has been a total pleasure. Thank you both. It really has. So next week will be the final episode of our Jamie Lee Curtis retrospective. All good things must come to an end, except perhaps the killing spree of Michael Myers, which has now spanned 43 years. And like the shape himself, every time you think it's dead, bam, it sits back up again. So next week, we're going to bring it full circle by covering the 11th film in the Halloween franchise, released in 2018 and simply called Halloween. We'll check in with our contemporary Jamie Lee Curtis as she steps back into the role that made her famous. Maybe you should really kill him this time. Maybe. (laughs) But I'm not holding my breath. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wansersky. 
You can follow us on Twitter at RollCalling and email us at RollCalling at gmail.com. That's R-O-L-E. And uh, if you rate and review our show, we really appreciate it. Next week, we'll be making our bloody return to Haddonfield, Illinois for the most recent Halloween. Until then. Oh my God, you're ruining my life. How's that?